How many of you have presents under your tree already? Anybody? Okay, kids in the room, is this something that you get to do at your house where you can go and look, look and inspect presents and see if it has your name on it and then maybe do like a little... No, yeah, some do, some don't. I was uh, watching a cartoon with my family last week and uh, in the cartoon, the kid goes to the Christmas tree and he shakes the present and he says, this one's for you, dad. It sounds like you're getting broken glass. <laughs> I love this. Um, we're going to come back to this a little bit. You may have heard um, around the world, all kinds of Christmas traditions. There's a giver of gifts and he's usually known as Father Christmas. Well, today we're going to study in our Bibles, a man that we came to know as Father Abraham. What's interesting about Abraham is while he's known as Father Abraham, when we meet him in the Bible, he has no children. And in fact, his wife is unable to have children. So obviously something miraculous is going to happen. God is sort of in the business of miraculous birth, right? We celebrate that at Christmas, how Jesus was born miraculously from the Virgin Mary. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We'll look, uh, have the scripture on the screen for you if you didn't bring a Bible today. Uh, but we've been studying Genesis the last several weeks. And uh, while we've come to know that things aren't going to plan, Abraham uh, was 75 years old when we meet him. 75. Some of you feel 75 today, whether you are or not 75. He also didn't have any children. Like we said, things weren't going to plan for him, but it wasn't just him. The whole world was not going to plan. Genesis teaches that God created everything. Humans, birds, animals, water, sky, land, everything. God created it all and it was good. In fact, it was very good until humans who lived in perfect harmony with God chose rebellion. They wanted autonomy from God. They wanted to make their own choices. They wanted to be their own God. And so they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one tree that God said, don't eat from this tree. They rebelled against God. And that set, sent everything into chaos. From God's created order to now mankind creating chaos for themselves. But as humans chose rebellion, uh, the story of humanity went from blessing to curse. Now everything is living under this idea of curse. Yet God graciously and relentlessly pursued humanity to restore a relationship of blessing, a chance to truly live again, to truly experience what life was intended to be. This is what the story of Genesis is setting up for us when we meet Abraham, a 75 year old man who can't have children who later would be known as Father Abraham. Something miraculous is going to happen. God, in chapter 12, introduces how he plans to renew his relationship with man, how to restore blessing to mankind through a covenant promise. So look with me, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. We'll start there today. It says, The Lord said to Abram, just uh, the earlier name for Abraham, by the way, if you're tracking with us, same guy. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The word of God came to Abram. Did you catch the importance of that? The very beginning, verse one of chapter 12, the Lord said, the word of God came to Abram. Now this is an incredible reality. The God who spoke creation into existence now speaks to a man. Despite man's rebellion, the God of creation is once again creating by his word. He's creating a way to reverse the curse, to restore blessing to all people. And this is the theme of Genesis, right? That God never stops pursuing sinful humanity to bless them. This is who God is. Look how God's grace shows up here in this call to Abram. These first three verses, six times in three verses, the phrase is repeated, I will. As God speaks, he says, I will. That means before Abram does anything for God, God does this for him. God makes this unconditional promise to Abram. Before Abram could do anything for him, it's unconditional. We get this mixed up all the time when we think about how we relate to God. We think we have to earn God's favor. We have to do something for God before God will do something for us. This is oftentimes the way we treat other people as well, but God is different. God is different. And this is good news because Abraham is kind of like us, that he made a lot more wrong choices in his life than he made right choices. So this is really good news that God makes unconditional covenant relationship with man, blessing man before we have done anything for God. God invites us into relationship by grace with the promise of blessing. Blessing. That's the other thing you ought to pick up on these three verses in Genesis chapter 12. Five times there's a blessing given to Abram in three verses. This is a huge theme. Uh, when someone sneezes, what do you say? Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. So I knew someone was going to say Gesundheit, but nobody did, right? You're all tracking with me. Um, I have that condition, um, the East Texas allergy condition, that when I sneeze once, I sneeze about 15 times, right? So if you're around me and I start sneezing, you're going to say, bless you a lot. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. It's just going to keep coming out. And it's just, what does that even mean? We're not really sure. But in these three verses, God actually gives five very specific blessings. Listen to what they are. He gives these five promises to bless Abraham, the blessing of a place, a land to call their own, the blessing of a people to make Abram into a great nation, which must have sounded strange to an old man with no children. Third, the blessing of provision. The word blessing first showed up in chapter one when God created humans. In chapter one, verse 27, he says, it says God blessed them. And the next couple sentences talk about all the things that God provided for the humans. So God gives them the blessing of provision to make sure everything Abram needs, he has on this journey that he's sending him on. He gives him the blessing of a promotion. He says, I'll make your name great. This is from a man who has left his father, is being called to leave his father's house. So everything that would have been passed down to him, God is asking him to make a break from that, to start clean, to start fresh. And then God promises this blessing, I'll make your name great. In fact, Abraham, as he's called to leave everything behind, uh, he's called to do that so that he can identify with and venture into obscurity, identifying only with God. 
Here's the cool thing that happens to Abram. He does this in obedience to the point that later in Israel's history, God himself would come to be known, speaking of names, as the God of Abraham. So, makes Abram's name great. Finally, there's a blessing of protection. He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. God's saying, hey, we're in this together, Abram. I'm I'm calling you to go, but I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you. I'm with you in this. I'm in this with you. I've got your back. And this is something we're actually gonna see over and over again throughout the book of Genesis in the life of Abraham and also in his descendants. Now, this would have been hugely powerful this, these three verses, this blessing for the Israelite people as they received the book of Genesis for the very first time. If you haven't been with us in our study, we've been talking about how Genesis was first received by the Hebrew people after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, as they've wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, anticipating God bringing them to the promised land. Now here they are right across the river from Canaan, where God calls Abram to go, the promised land, and there's a people in that land who are their enemies, and there's giants and cities and walls, and they're standing there going, how in the world could this be God's plan for us? And they receive the book of Genesis, the story of creation, how everything because of sin is sent into chaos, but how God relentlessly pursues his people for a covenant relationship. And in the very first example, we see Abram given this promise for a land, for a name, for it to become a nation again. The Israelites who had been enslaved had lost all of their identity. And in the story of Abraham, they see that God has a promise for us as well, that we can have a place. We are a people. God will provide. God will protect. This is all really, really good news for the Israelites. But the plan was never for the Israelites to be blessed for the sake of the Israelites being blessed. The plan was never to bring Abram into Canaan or to bring the Israelites into the promised land just so they can have what they need and end of story, everything's good. It wasn't a plan of isolation where they can protect themselves from the world and every, you know, just have what they need and God loves them and, and they're good while everybody else is still in chaos. The plan in verse three for Abram's, the same for the Israelites, the same for us that those who are blessed by God are blessed to become a blessing to others. This is how God works. The point is to bless all peoples of the earth through Abram, meaning that every single person on the planet, I mean, even you, even people in countries you've never heard of. I heard of a country this week that I'd never heard of. How does that even happen today in the age of the internet? Every person on the planet can be reunited to God through Abraham's family. This is the promise made in Genesis chapter 12. This is huge. So what's Abram do? He responds by faith and following. Look what happens in chapter 12, starting in verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and people they had acquired in Haran. They set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. These guys are going to become the enemies of Israel throughout 
the book of Genesis. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Abram had a choice. Would he believe what God said or would he believe what he could see? To be 75 years old with a wife who has no children and to be promised not only one offspring, but to become a great nation. I mean, this is a huge leap of faith for Abram. But he went just as the Lord told him. Now, last week we saw in chapter 11 at the end how Abram's father made it halfway with Abram to the place called Haran that we just read about. And then Abram's father stopped. He didn't finish the journey with Abram. He stopped, he got distracted, he, got, he disobeyed God, he didn't finish. So Abram, when he's called to leave his father's house, it's a spiritual calling. It's a spiritual decision that Abram had to make, that he's gonna finish the journey, that he's gonna follow God in faith. He was choosing potential discomfort over comfort. He was choosing the unknown over the known. He was choosing vulnerability over assumed protection. And as quickly as God called, Abram went. That's faith. How does a person do this? Well, Hebrews in our New Testament actually tells us a little bit more about Abraham. Here's what it says in chapter 11, verse 8 and 9. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith. He stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. Faith is the only way to enter and to enjoy the blessing of God. This is what Abraham's story is showing us. Faith simply means just entrusting your whole self, your whole life to God to follow him in obedience and worship, which is exactly what Abram did. Remember what happens as he journeys through the land of Canaan, this promised land that is becoming his inheritance, yet is occupied by enemy peoples. He's setting up altars. He does it twice in chapter 12. He'll do it again in chapter 13, which we'll see in a few weeks. He sets up altars to worship God. He follows God first from Shechem, which is all the way in the north, all the way down to the Negev in the south, and in the meantime, sets up an altar between Bethel and Ai, which are on the east and west, respectively. And so essentially what Genesis 12 is saying is that God led Abram to traverse the entire promised land. And along the way, Abram sets up altars to worship God. Now, like we said, the Canaanites were there. This was at the time, the land of Canaan. The Canaanites, if you remember from chapter 10, were Noah's descendants, they were the cursed descendants of Noah, Noah's son Ham, which sinned against Noah, and then his son Canaan. Noah actually expressed a curse in the end of chapter 9 on Canaan himself and all of his descendants. And so the people here were, were somewhat enemies of God as Abraham traverses this promised land and sets up these altars. These were people who were, uh, they were full of, uh, of paganism. They were worshiping false gods, idols, worshiping themselves, 
This was their culture, not unlike the culture we live in today, where people want to be their own God. They don't want anything to do with a God who's in control of all things because there's the allure of being in control of your own life. This was the land of Canaan. And so as Abraham traverses, he sets up altars to the God of creation, the God that created both male and female, the God who created men and women in his image to be uh, representatives of him throughout the earth. This is the, the God that Abraham is setting up altars of worship to. It's in direct opposition to the people who were living in the land at the time. What Abram was doing, he was staking out the boundaries of God's restored kingdom on earth. This is what Abram was doing. And this is what faith does. Faith is not just a way of thinking. Faith is a partnership with God to restore his kingdom on this earth, which he promises to complete. This is how our story of the Bible ends. In fact, Hebrews 11 goes on to tell us in verse 10, after it introduced this idea of faith for Abraham, it tells us about Abraham that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham knew what he was doing by traversing the promised land was not just gaining an inheritance for himself, but that through him and his descendants, God would bless the whole world again to give everyone an opportunity to be restored into relationship with him with the promise that he would not only give them a slice of land in the Middle East, but that he would renew and restore all of creation to himself. Genesis is as much about our future as it is our past. This is a cool reality. And God is going to fulfill his promise to renew and restore creation. And he invites people to participate in this promise through covenant relationship with him, which is entered into by faith. This is Genesis 12. And you might be thinking, this is all good, but a Christmas sermon would have been nice on Christmas, right? Well, I just was remembering my box here. I was actually thinking, you kids wondering what's in this box? Anybody wondering? It doesn't have my name on it, can I open it? You think so? Okay. It's not really necessarily addressed to me. But I'm going to anyway. Uh, the story of Abraham, are you guys like tape peelers or do you just rip? You just, you just rip, you're so ready. Okay. Uh, the story of Abraham, uh, in fact, the rest of the Old Testament is like a wrapped gift. Um, Everything we read in our Old Testament is like shaking the gift, trying to comprehend what exactly it is God has given us. Until one day, on the very first Christmas, God said, open the gift. And we open it up. And you know what we find? This is cool. It's a box. Oh, it's a manger. That's right. <laughs> some some uh, hay here. A little. I guess that's hay. Oh, a little basket of food. You're gonna need that. Okay. We got some animals. We got some good stuff coming out. A camel. 
It's a nice gift. There's another sheep. Another sheep. A lot of stuff in here, y'all. Let's see. We got some people. These look like important people. They're carrying what look like expensive things. Maybe some gifts. Oh, look, y'all. An angel. Very cool. An angel. Oh, yeah, the angel goes on the top. Thank you. It's a hole in it, too. Somebody has this set at home. A couple of normal-looking folks like us. That's Mary and Joseph. Let's put them in here. And then finally, we have the baby, Jesus, born on the first Christmas. The gift that was given to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, which we, reading the Old Testament, shake and go, we know God is giving us a gift, but what exactly is it? On the first Christmas, he says, open it up. And what do we find? Jesus Christ. In Genesis, the word of God came to a man because God was preparing the way for the first Christmas when in the tiny town of Bethlehem, the word of God came to mankind. The promise of Genesis chapter 7, verse, chapter 12, verse 7, if you go back and look at it, about Abraham's offspring, well, because Genesis is as much about our future as it is about our past, it points both directions. The promise about Abraham's offspring points back to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world. And God said that Eve will have a descendant, an offspring, that will crush the head of the serpent who brought people into sin, who tempted humans, humans to sin. Yes, the serpent will strike his heel, but he will crush his head, an offspring of Eve. But it also looks forward to our future. In fact, in John, in the Gospel of John, chapter one, I want you to see what the Bible says as we are introduced to Jesus for the first time. John, his disciple, writes this, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Genesis, right? All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. Skip down to verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God that came to a man has now come in Christmas to mankind. Matthew chapter one, verse one, the very beginning of our New Testament says this. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, his offspring, Eve's offspring, the one who would crush the serpent to restore life to man. The God who spoke creation into existence spoke a promise to Abram and then kept his word by coming himself as a man to restore mankind to true life. This is the Christmas story. When God made a covenant with Abram, it was like handing him the wrapped gift pointing us to a better Abraham. 
Jesus Christ, who like Abraham, was called to leave his home in heaven, was called to go out from his father's house, was called to go to a land that was occupied by his enemies with the purpose of reestablishing, staking out the new boundaries of the kingdom of God and establishing his reign forever and ever to bless all of mankind with a way to be restored to relationship with God. This is Christmas. So the Christmas story isn't just a couple of pages in our Bible. The Christmas story is on every page of the Bible. Every page of the Bible points to the birth of Jesus, which has already happened, but they also point to the second coming of Jesus, which has yet to happen. Christmas isn't just the story of our past. It's the cornerstone of hope for our future. And once we realize this, Christmas isn't just something we do. Christmas becomes something that does something in us, that we would become people who live for a better future, who live for a bigger story, who live a full, abundant life, truly blessed. This is what Christmas does. What does this look like? Well, just a few things. Like Abraham, mankind must respond to the word of God by faith and following. Like Abram, we must choose to put faith in God's promise to us through Jesus Christ. Listen to what the New Testament writer Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 is really all about Abraham. A look back for thousands of years for these brand new Christians. Here's what he says. He says in verse 7 of chapter 3, You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. The scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles. That's people who aren't Jews by faith and proclaimed the good news, the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Verse 16 says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, he says, and to your seed, who is Christ. You skip down to verse 29. It says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. This is how you can participate with Abraham in the blessing of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. You can make that choice today. How do you do that? Look at what Abram does in chapter 12 when he sets up the altars. It says he calls on the name of the Lord. There's a New Testament echo to that phrase. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, anyone who would call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved from your sin, restored to a relationship with God that lasts for all eternity, partnering with him to reestablish his kingdom here on earth, which he will complete just as he has promised. That's what faith does. That's what it looks like. So have you put faith in Jesus yet? If you have, like Abraham, we are sent. We are sent not away from our families, not away from our land, but to our families to our land, to our nation, 
Just like chapter 12, verse 3, we are blessed now to be a blessing to others. This is, in fact, the vision of Moberly right now. We spent this last year focusing on how we can make Jesus Christ the center of our homes. In chapter, or excuse me, 2024, chapter 24, 2024, our focus as a church is going to be making Christ the center of our neighborhoods as we become the kind of neighbor to people that Jesus would want us to be. 2025, we're going to be focusing on how God can use us to take Jesus to the nations. But it begins right here with us, right? Like Abraham, we reclaim the land that God has given us for worship and service to him. This is what we do with our faith. Our thinking about your own heart as a place that can or may not be staked out for the worship and service of God. Start with your own heart. Declare it holy ground that Jesus will reign in your heart, that he will be king over your life. That's what faith does. And then go out from there. Go then to the places like your home, your family, your workplace, your school, the entire world. Stake it out. Reclaim it for the kingdom of God where Jesus reigns and God is worshiped. And finally, like Abraham, we experience God's blessing by partnering with God to fulfill his promise to bless the whole earth through us. And we often mistakenly think that Christianity is simply being saved so that we have eternity in heaven. Something about our future is, is secure. What does that mean right now? Well, Christianity is actually not just an escape from sinful earth, but salvation is like, we, like Abraham. It's an invitation to partner in God's redemptive story. It's an invitation to participate in the renewal and the recreation of God's earth. This is what we do. This is who we are. And all of this is possible because of Christmas, because of Jesus who came to earth to become one of us in order that we could become one of his. When you find tomorrow morning, Lord willing, a full stocking, when you find a Christmas tree full of presents, when your stomach feels really, really full from all the good food you eat, would you just be reminded that the only way to a truly full life, restored to blessing under God and his rule and reign, is by receiving the gift of Jesus Christ by faith. That's it. In fact, Romans in the New Testament, chapter six, verse 23 says, the first way you can live is, is in sin. And the wage of sin, what sin earns you, is death. Sin always earns death. But the free gift of God, not something you have to earn, but a gift that's been given to us freely by God and his grace is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. God offers you the gift of eternal life by faith in Jesus. Have you received it? Would you bow your heads? I wanna pray for you. We're gonna sing a couple more songs. And you're gonna have a chance to respond as we exit this morning. But let me pray. God, you are uh, just so good to us to give us Jesus. While we were your enemies in rebellion against you, 
people who wanted to be our own God, you pursued us to restore us to a relationship of blessing. And you gave us the promised son, Jesus, who would bear the weight of our sin on his own shoulders, dying on a cross for us to buy us the gift of salvation, to freely offer us forgiveness and eternal life. This Christmas, God, would you let that truth sink deeply into our hearts? We don't just celebrate a baby being born. We celebrate God coming to us to be with us, to restore us to yourself. May that change the way we live through faith and following you. Thank you, God, for this time to focus our hearts in a busy season. Would you deepen our faith through this experience? And would you, God, receive all the honor and glory and praise through our worship? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.